0: Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. You can subscribe to future editions through iTunes and Google Play. Today we're joined by David Zimmer, Executive Director of the New Jersey Environmental Infrastructure Trust, who's here to tell us more about this innovative and unique program. Established in 1986, the New Jersey Environmental Infrastructure Trust was the first state revolving fund of its kind in the country. NJ EIT provides low cost financing for the construction of environmental infrastructure projects, projects that enhance and protect ground and surface water resources to ensure the safety of drinking water, and the NJEIT also facilitates responsible, sustainable economic development. Dave, thanks so much for joining us
1: today. Certainly, Bob. Glad to be here.
0: Dave, what is the New Jersey Environmental Infrastructure Trust and what makes it so unique? First of all,
1: I'm gonna request that I can be allowed to call it the NJEIT. Yes, because it is a tongue twister. All right. The NJEIT is the state financing authority that is in but not of the DEP. So we're not part of the DEP, but we're set up to serve the DEP. And what we do is we administer financing programs for water infrastructure. The one main program that we facilitate is, as you said before, the State Revolving Fund. And that program is a federal program that receives money every single year from the federal government. All 50 states get it. New Jersey gets roughly $80 million. We get those funds from the Fed. Like every other state, we have to match that funding, 20 cents on the dollar. So if New Jersey receives $80 million, we kick in $16 million. And then what the trust does is the trust goes out and borrows money from the municipal bond market. We're AAA-rated. So we get to borrow at the best, lowest rates, and we take those municipal bond funds and we add those to the federal and state funds. Those federal and state funds are lent out at 0%, and when you combine our very low AAA rate with 0% funds in one big pool, we actually end up lending money at incredibly attractive rates. We just had a financing program deal that we did three weeks ago where we lent The local communities and towns that participated with us this year at a rate just above a half a percent for their projects for, on average, 20 years. And there isn't any entity in this state that I know of that can borrow 20-year funds at a half a percent.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. What sort of projects have you funded recently?
1: The program actually is made up of two separate programs. There is a clean water program, which handles sewers, storm water management, and then there's the drinking water, safe drinking water program, which, as the name implies, handles drinking water. On the drinking water side, we will fund projects such as water treatment facilities, distribution pipes, those large storage tanks that you drive by. We've financed most of them that have been built in the state. We will also fund abatement programs, so if a town has a well that it's drawing its supply from, And there is arsenic in the well. We will help them set up abatement infrastructure in that well to minimize arsenic leaking in and thereby impacting the drinking water folks. On the clean water side, we do waste treatment plants. We do conduits, pipes. We'll do stormwater management projects. We've got a number of projects going out in Barnegat Bay where we build green infrastructure. So we're doing gravel wetlands it's a retention basin. It's a very sophisticated retention basin that has different layers of sand, pebble, silt, and then there's a number of very specific types of plants we have planted in there that draw the nitrogen and other elements that might be in the water that could harm the water as it seeps into the bay. So that when the water actually filters through these retention basins, what comes out is much cleaner as it makes its way into the streams. All sorts of very, very beneficial environmental projects both the clean water side and the drinking water side.
0: New Jersey has some pretty old infrastructure in terms of its water systems. Yes, I, it does. I was at your office a few weeks ago and saw this huge pipe outside pipe, of your office. Yes. Tell, tell me a little bit about that pipe and its history. I think it gives a, a good illustration of some of the challenges that New Jersey's facing in updating its water infrastructure.
1: So you can appreciate that development is really tied to your ability to deliver water services. If you don't have enough sewer capacity, you can't add more buildings, you can't add more commercial and industrial sites. If you don't have drinking water, you can't build additional residential and and commercial properties. If we have this old infrastructure wherein we actually, they've got broken pipes underground and nobody really sees that and we're leaching all this clean drinking water out, that's just money that is being literally seeped into the ground. If we were able to recapture that.
0: So, in other words, treated water from a, a water facility that is clean and ready to drink. And, and could we
1: otherwise be used for all sorts of potable purposes?
0: Is leaking into the ground through uh, many of these pipes that are old and maybe cracked. Broke, or right. leaking.
1: 30%, 25% is not unheard of. And so if you think, if you're at capacity from a development perspective, and all you did was go in and patch those pipes, you could grow... By 25 to 30 percent. Or conversely, you could cut your bills by 25 to 30 percent, depending on which way. So you, you can appreciate how important having modern, updated infrastructure is on both the clean and the drinking water side. So you mentioned the pipe. That came out of Seaside Park. Um, I give Seaside Park and their elected officials a lot of credit for the vision that they had. We helped them finance three and a half miles of water mains. Pipes going right down the street, not the laterals to the houses, whatever. Three and a half miles, again, because these were pipes that were over 100 years old. They're marked, literally, marvels of engineering. They're bored out logs that are probably 8, 10 inches in diameter. So they're wooden pipes. Wooden pipes, totally cylindrical. And you have to envision that this was almost before electricity. They had three and a half miles of these six-foot sections, and they were tongue and groove. And the pipes work beautifully. They're wrapped in steel and covered in tar. They work beautifully. It was the connections that were faulty because over time those connections had worn down and every six feet water was just gushing out and they were losing as much as 50% of the water that they were purchasing from New Jersey American. They actually got some grant money from us. They borrowed the rest. They went to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, their, their rural development program, and got a loan and a grant from them. So they really maximized the funding that they were able to get, both grants as well as very, very low rates, replaced all three and a half miles. And the project cost just a little bit more than $3 million in loans. The money that they saved on both the water that they were buying, that they're no longer wasting, as well as their sewer bill, because their sewer bill, like most homes, was tied to the amount of water that they were purchasing. It was just assumed that all of that water was going into the drain, and so the utility authority was charging them based on the volume of water that they were buying. Well, you've cut your volume of water by 40%, your sewage bill is going to be cut by 40%. Mm -hmm. They've saved enough on both the drop in their sewer bill and the cost of their water that the project has already paid for itself, and we're only four years into the project.
0: So in four years, that project is paid for itself.
1: And, And if it's one thing that I could stress to anybody listening to this program, if you have a water project, and some engineer tells you it's going to cost you two million, five million, ten million dollars, don't get it in your head that that's what it's going to cost you on debt service. Because for not knowing on the savings that you're going to realize in lower energy bills, and lower product that you're going to need to, to treat, and lower costs in terms of infiltr we call it I and I infiltration and influx—it's basically the water that that's either seeping out or in the sewer side, the water that's seeping in that now you have to treat Mm -hmm. because you've got excess water coming in. When you add up all those savings, your annual debt service drops dramatically from just the cost of the project. And this was a total case in point with uh, the folks at Seaside Park. So hats off to those guys.
0: You mentioned Seaside Park. A lot of our communities along the coast were severely impacted by Superstorm Sandy, including their water and wastewater infrastructure, and the NJEIT has done a lot to help them recover. You've done a lot of work down there. Tell us a little bit about the work you've done down the shore.
1: We actually set up a very unique disaster relief program. There's a lot of credit that needs to go to DEP Commissioner Martin and working with us to help develop this program. We got a lot of feedback from Governor Christie and his administration, and then we worked really closely with the legislative leadership, and particularly the chairpeople of the environmental committees in both the Senate and the Assembly and the folks on those committees. So it was a great coordinated effort by all branches of government. And what this program does is, typically, if you're a disaster community, you get money from FEMA. But FEMA, what most people don't understand is, hey, this is free money. Well, it's not all free money. You have to put some money up front. And New Jersey's disaster was so large that... The communities were only required to put up 10 cents on every dollar. But you have to pay for all of the work first, and then you have to go back into FEMA to prove that you've done it. So we had one case in point, Bayshore Regional Sewage Authority. They're borrowing over $42 million from us for all of the damage. The average flooding that they had in their entire plant was three feet. So some areas were well under three feet. There was an awful lot of damage that was done. So. We're not only repairing, but we're also putting resiliency in flood walls, et cetera. $42 million.
0: And Bayshore wasn't exactly right on the shore. It was, as I recall, about a half a mile.
1: Half a mile the ocean, right. yeah. Yep. So of that $42 million, I'm estimating, I think, roughly $31 million is going to be FEMA-funded. And the rest will be loans through the EIT. They don't have $42 million sitting in the bank or you know in their checking account to pay for this stuff and then go knock on FEMA's door and say, hey, can we have our funds back? The program that we developed, we actually lend them the $42 million. Now, we don't give them $42 million at a chunk. As they get their invoices in, we look at them, and we set up what I happen to think is an incredible compliance system. So we read through the Stafford Act, which is the act that really manages the FEMA program, and we set up a number of checkpoints, policies, and procedures to ensure that all of the requirements that FEMA and the Stafford Act require are actually met. So you go through our program and you have a much higher probability of being in full compliance and therefore not being rejected when you give your requisitions to FEMA. So what happens is we come into these communities, they come through us, we do all the reviews, we check off all of the boxes to make sure that they're compliant with all the FEMA laws. We lend them as their requisitions and their bills come in. We lend them that money. We front the funds for FEMA. And then what happens is we, on their behalf, submit the requisitions to FEMA, and FEMA pays them back, and then they pay us. They repay the loan. So it's, it's fungible funds. We get a requisition for $3 million. We give them the $3 million. We submit it to FEMA. We make sure all the paperwork is where it's supposed to be. FEMA gives them the $3 million, and they pay us our loan back, and it just keeps moving like that. So it's kind
0: of like a bridge loan on it a is house.
1: exactly like yeah. a bridge loan, and Bayshore will not come out of pocket through the construction period one dime. They don't have to go to a bank and borrow working capital. They don't have to do a ban. It's an incredible program, and it has been very helpful. We've funded eight projects, total of around $150 million, and we've got 10 more in the queue that are going to add another $350 million. Very, very successful program for local communities. A lot of people deserve credit
0: for it. And that doesn't just save the sewage authority money, it saves all the ratepayers All the ratepayers rate money.
1: And we, so we're lending the short term funds to them at 0%. So they're a two, three year loan for no cost. We will roll it into a long term loan. And again, if rates stay where they are, they're what are they going to borrow 20, 30 year funds at a half a percent? Yeah. So great program.
0: Can't beat it. Over the course of the life of the NJEIT, how much has your organization put out on the street to improve
1: good, water infrastructure? Good question. So, um, like you said, we started in 1986, so we made our first loan in 1987. Since that time, we've made roughly 1,150 loans. It's totaled probably somewhere $6.35, 6400000000 billion. And of that, because we lend it out at such low rates, and, and again, some of these funds, not much, maybe $20 million a year go out as grant funds. We have saved taxpayers to the tune of $2.3 billion in interest savings. In other words, had they gone out and borrowed those funds on their own, their own bands, their own bond deals, just in annual debt service, they would have paid $2.3 billion more. And all of
0: that would have come out of people's property taxes and come out of, out of the municipal budgets. pockets. Yeah.
1: So that's $2.3 billion that was most likely spent on other things, fire engines, salaries for policemen and the such.
0: If people want to find out more information about the NJEIT, where do they go?
1: So we have a website. It's www.njeit.org, or you can call our main line at area code 609-219-8600. We'd be glad to help.
0: David, how would a municipality go about borrowing money from the NJEIT?
1: So uh, municipalities or utility authorities, regional utility authorities, so local government units, would come in and request. We do it through a website, and the website is www.h2loans.com. You would call the trust and get a password from us at area code 609-219-8600. Um, we'd give you a password, and you say, here's my project, short description, I want to borrow X, here's our engineer's estimate, and... We'll take your hand, hold it, and walk you through the process very straightforward. What happens after that is there's really two components for the program. One is a project review, which the engineers and the fine folks here at the DEP handle, and then there is the financial and the legal review, which my staff handles over at the EIT. So your project has to meet the requirements laid out in both the Safe Drinking Water Act as well as the Clean Water Act, depending on whether it's a sewer stormwater project or a drinking water project. And and the reason that we have those requirements is the funds that we receive from the federal government, we get those funds through those acts. So all of the requirements of of our program, there's some state requirements as well, but those are really the basis. So the DEP spends a lot of time looking over the environmental review, cultural and natural review, and then they do engineering design And once you get that, you get the authorization to advertise. We make sure that you're compliant with uh, local public contracts law. And once the bids come back, you do low-responsive bid. You get authorization to award and certification from the DEP. That's the EIT's cue to say, okay, this project qualifies for financing. Now, I will tell you, we don't wait until that moment. We're working with your bond counsel. If you have a financial advisor, well in advance to get you lined up at that point because you're ready to start construction right then we don't want to delay you by saying oh wait a second there's all these legal documents you have to sign we're ready to go as soon as you get certified the paperwork more or less has been done we sign off on the paperwork and the way that we've changed the program and I think quite handsomely is now before we used to just give you a long-term loan for 20 years based on your your bid now what we do is we give you a short-term construction loan and for this year That loan is at 0%. So you come into the program, and you get to borrow money for no cost. So your payments, we defer interest, and we roll everything into your long-term loan. If it takes you 18 months, whatever kind of bond deal we have after that 18-month period, we'll roll your project in for the cost that it costs you. So we give you a long-term loan for exactly the amount that your construction costs. So it's really been terrific in terms of adding a lot more flexibility and making sure that our borrowers get their projects reviewed and approved as quickly as possible, and they get their cash as soon as their construction is ready to start. We weren't built that way. Even five years ago, we would literally get you cash once a year. So it was more difficult if you completed your project right after we bonded, you'd have to wait 11 months. And that was a constant complaint kind of of the program. So I think the program has absolutely listened to the stakeholders. We've made a number of modifications. We've made it cheaper. And I think if I had to just sum it up for people to think of quite easily, it's a line of credit. Come into the EIT, we'll give you a line of credit for your construction program. In fact, the short-term funds that um, we give you at 0%, we let you draw as you get those invoices in. So very seamless, very flexible. Highly recommend if people have water projects that they call us up.
0: That's a great example of the sort of transformation that's been going on at at DEP. Thank you, Commissioner Martin. Um, (laughs) um, Yep. And uh, what a difference that makes, I think, for all of the local government units that are taking advantage of EIT's work. David, this is a great program that uh, not only has saved... Uh, taxpayers, so much money, as you mentioned, over the course of the past 30 years, but has also done so much to improve the condition of our state's water and wastewater infrastructure. Uh, There's still a lot of work to go around New Jersey in bringing that up to date, and it's good to know, particularly for the taxpayers as well as municipal officials, that NJEIT will be there to help finance those things and get that infrastructure uh, repaired and modernized where it needs to be. So thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, this is a fascinating program and uh, a very successful program, one that uh, works even better than expected. And uh, when you can say that about a program such as this, that is high praise indeed. So thank, thank, you. thank you, David, for being with thank us. You, Thanks. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast Enjoy the rest of your day.